0: Get fired up. Oh, yeah. Performance Performance enhancing enhancing audio. audio. This is the State of Combat Podcast with Brian Campbell. Oh, yeah. Fight Island in the books and the SOC is here to give you what you want. It's instant analysis time from the hotel room of all places, deep in the morning after a.m. Eastern time no idea what time it is right now in Abu Dhabi but UFC 251 in the books the pay-per-view headlined by three title fights and Jorge Masvidal atop the bill which rightfully had us fired up coming in now look did this card live up to those lofty expectations uh no but this was a damn good night of fights so I didn't necessarily enjoy some of that womp womp feeling that I saw out there. Uh, the Brian Campbell, of course, the voice that you hear. Going to give it to you right away. Quick, fast, easy. It's IA in your ear hole from all things UFC 251. A uh, lot of big-time uh, storylines coming out of this. A lot of big-time performances. No, we didn't get the storybook Hollywood ending of Jorge Masvidal going, you know, rags to riches bare-knuckle backyards to the top of the Pops as UFC champion. And we didn't have knockout after knockout, but we had competitive fights. We had things worth talking about. So please be be sure, of course, to check out CBS Sports HQ all Sunday. The recap that Rashad Evans and I put out late tonight. And you're hearing my voice right now breaking things down. And let's not waste any time. It was from Yaz Island, Abu Dhabi. Uh, Yeah, they put a ceremonial octagon by the side of the beach, but all that stuff we wasted our time talking about didn't really matter in the end. They could put the Fight Island label on there, but this was a loaded pay-per-view card from a foreign country. And as we found out late in Fight Week when UFC COO Lawrence Epstein essentially confirmed to multiple outlets that... uh. Not only was UFC getting a big fight site fee, as we expected to be able to pay for things like Masvidal's salary for going to Abu Dhabi, but the folks at the UAE picked up the tab for travel, accommodations, food, and most importantly, testing. So this is a, uh, another huge chess piece from, uh, from the boss himself, Uncle Dana. So <clears throat> shout out to there, of course. I'm the boss. I'm the boss. It's my way and no other way. End of story. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dana. And, uh, it was, uh, Dana who told, who told media members this week, by the way, that he's going to buy a house in Abu Dhabi soon, uh, because more business to come and it would make a ton of sense during this quarantine when you can't get the live gate to find that rich foreign suitor. The UFC did, but let's get into the action that mattered. Your Walter Waite title about six days notice. Jorge Masvidal replacing Gilbert Burns against defending champion Kamaru Usman. Uh, look, one of the big things we said this week coming in, if you can guarantee me that you can see the future and Kamaru Usman is going to wrestle, I'm going to say, look, he's going to win the fight. All right? You know, put your bets in that category. He's too good of a wrestler, and there's all those questions coming in against Jorge Masvidal. And, yes, I said, if there is a fighter wired for it not to matter, all of this chaos who could operate within that, it is Masvidal, and I stand by that. but. This was a lot to ask, especially against a man with a certain style who could just make your gas tank bleed. So not only did Kamaru Usman do what he had to do to earn a clean and wide unanimous decision victory, defend his title, by the way, five rounds to zero on two of the three scorecards, you've got to give Kamaru a ton of credit for really the overall evolution that he showed. Uh, he had the championship poise to realize that it doesn't matter if I entertain you in the end because I want to defend this title and do it, you know, the best way possible to take away what my opponent does best. Limit his potential theatrical outbreaks of of, of big-time, you know, knockouts like against Ben Askren, like against Darren Till. He not only did that, but to show you the beginning, the beginning of his full-time evolution. He may say in interviews that he's already among the most well-rounded fighters in the world, but he he really isn't or he wasn't. But to see the beginning of that evolution under what we really have to echo Rashad Evans' statements at, at a genius coach strategically and striking and Trevor Whitman, who's done such incredible things with Rose Namajunas, Justin Gaethje, and so on. Uh, we saw just the flashes uh, in a short camp, you know, of, of what Kamara Usman can be when he adds the ability to switch stances, the ability to do some more c- creative strikes and just straight ahead with the one-two punches he showed me a lot in this fight. You know, it was the poise. It really was the poise. I mean, let's be honest. Who wanted him to win this fight? Nobody, right? It was like the Usman family, Coach Whitman, um, Rashad Evans, and nobody else. It was the romantic hotshot story for Jorge to slide in and do something theatrical and ridiculous that he didn't get the chance to do. And Usman avoided getting in the reckless exchanges yet made sure he earned his respect at the same time. And then when it mattered, right in the championship rounds, he just did what he does best. He just completely pulls on that gas tank, but to get there, he had to do a lot of things. Let's not forget early in that third round, Usman had stuffed seven of eight takedowns. And I think if you go back to that first round, that's where, uh, I'm sorry. Masvidal had stuffed those takedowns. You go back to that first round. That's where Usman won the fight he didn't win the round on my scorecard in fact you know only one of the three judges in the end gave round one to Jorge but we knew that's where he would be the most dangerous and that's where he had the most success he said he was going to come with that fast-forward style and he was explosive and quick in the first 30 seconds and he had a pretty good at Masvidal of landing shots uh testing Usman's chin but also testing would he take the bait would he uh you know, react differently to a shot, open himself up to be finished. He never did. I liked how he switched stances. I liked where his chin was at and absorbing those shots. And I like how he battled back to make that round close. And that was big because that was going to be the majority of what Masvidal's gas tank was. I mean, it just is what it is, Right. That was going to be the majority of it. And I give Masvidal credit for stuffing those takedowns. But then you go into rounds two and three, and what Usman did in the standing clinch is what won him the fight. The first round set up what won him the fight, but in the second and third round, he executed it. He dominated in the standing clutch. And even if Masvidal was largely able to keep that off the ground, he's exuding energy in doing that. And Usman found a creative way to, uh, you know, land strikes and win the rounds with those shoulders, you know, taken from the, the Connor Cowboy playbook, so to speak. But busting up, I know one of those was on a headbutt, but busting up two cuts on Masvidal's face. And, you know, you ended up not having what we thought we would have, which is okay, Masvidal's probably going to lose some of these rounds. But I saw the still fight. I know he can explode out of nowhere. I know he's always a threat to win. Usman just didn't give him that chance. So I'm not here to say, like, anything was boring. Like, yeah, okay, it was boring. But it was purposefully boring. And it was, it was smart and it was safe. And if it was just five rounds of wrestling, maybe it would be a little bit easier to criticize him and say, okay, rinse and repeat. You did it against Woodley. I know we sort of... Give Habib a pass at this point, but you're boring. We don't like you. Uh, you're corny on the mic. No, I mean, he had a great performance. He's only climbing in the pound for pound rankings in my eyes and he had to play the spoiler and he did, which means again, nobody wanted him to win. Nobody. I don't think, I mean, how could have UFC have wanted him to win? And he made it to the degree where. I know they talked about a rematch afterwards. The cameras picked it up when they hugged and embraced afterwards. And Usman's like, oh, yeah, man, you know, I'd love to rematch you. And Masvidal's like, let me win a few and I'll get back there. And look, you probably can make that fight. And you can certainly make the case that Masvidal could do better with better stamina, a full camp. Um, You know, if he can stuff takedowns, he can have a shot here in theory. But I don't know, man. I mean, Masvidal's already 35. He's taking on a lot of damage. He's – he's uh. You know, he had that whirlwind 2019. This may end up being his mountaintop. I'm not saying he's never going to win a big fight again, but I don't think he's ever going to get past this opportunity. And I'm happy he took it now. I don't think you can say anything negative about Masvidal taking this chance now. I mean, Maybe you could say, okay, you should have took less money when you were first offered it and taken your shot at the title. And if you won the title, you'd be in the driver's seat. Well, he got himself in the driver's seat anyway. He's the story this week. I mean, this pay per view. You know, you hear Dana say, and he says he says that a lot lately. But he says, "Look, this is you know, I've never seen numbers on a non Connor fight do this, and I saw it across the board from casual fans, boxing fans, whatever. Like they've adopted Jorge Masvidal. I just don't know if he ever gets past this. I don't know if he ever gets above and beyond this. So, you know, he can win some fights, and you would make the rematch because you got a built in storyline. And obviously, if you're Camaro, you want. Somebody that you feel like you just beat easily—that's going to bring a lot of eyeballs. Or you want to fight him again, of course. But I don't know what Masvidal's future is going to be. Um, I don't want to put too much on the loss because you know it was—it was compromised by some things. But again, at 35 to go this hard and long, I kind of see him more as a celebrity fighter. He wouldn't need a ton of wins at Walterway to get back at the title shot. He probably will end up getting a second title shot. But I see him more fighting a Diaz and a McGregor than I do necessarily uh let me get on the next available guy and let me give rip off three, four wins and like no, I don't I don't think he's that guy. And I thought he had a chance to to kinda be that guy. He had a chance to be both. He had a chance to bring in that BMF title and bring in the street cred and bring in the I'm the modern day Diaz brother. Only I'm unique and I'm doing my own thing. And also win the championship. I mean, if he would have won here and called out Conor McGregor, I mean, do you have any idea how huge that fight would have been when you add the... I mean, it'll be huge no matter what. And they, you can argue they should do that next, to be honest with you. Um, you, you can do it at any time. Because they're probably your two biggest brands, Conor McGregor and, and Jorge Masvidal right now. And it's probably a 2 million plus pay-per-view. It just might be. It really might. But you can't argue that by taking a chance. Masvidal damaged his brand a little bit here. Okay. Not only say damage, but diminish the light on it. Because, um, he had a bit of that McGregor magic going. And when he wasn't able to summon any of that, I mean, I know in the final seconds, he did, it was spinny shit time, but you know, it it was no like, Oh my God. Outside of that first round, there was no Oh my God moments, right? There was like one punch or, or nothing. So he lost a bit of the idea that there's magic there, that there's momentum, that there's whatever. He also ran into a tough guy, but. I'm, I think he can get this title fight again, but I just don't know which direction he's going. He could have had it all. He doubled down on himself. He took a chance. I'm proud of him for doing that and he got paid doing it and he deserves all that. I just think he's more because of his brand strength. Let's just match him in fights that don't make sense necessarily for the division or the title, you know, cause he wants to get paydays. Then let's, uh, get him back in line and you got to beat these guys. But look, Kamaru doubled down to me on his pound for pound value. On who he is, uh, you know, Anak teed him up as, you know, now talking to one of the greatest Wealthweight champions of all time. At first you hear that and you're like, whoa, slow your roll. But you do look at his win streak right now, the dominance of his win streak. Um, you know, he's not George St. Pierre. I don't think he's Tyron Woodley, but although he beat Woodley, you know, soundly, I'm saying in terms of what he accomplished with those title defenses and the names he beat. But this is a pretty damn impressive start to whitewash Woodley that way, to have a fight of the year, blood and guts against Colby and knock him out to have this win right here. Um, You know, this division's got some names. It's not as deep as lightweight, featherweight, bantamweight, but uh, you can't favor anybody over Kamara right now when he can do all of this. And I think there was one thing that Jorge was hoping for and he brought up the, you know, he's got 17 personalities. He brought that up a lot. I think he's just saying like, he thought Kamara was weak minded. And I think some people, even with the toughness Kamara showed against Colby, still had that feeling. Like, okay, if he's the, if he's the, uh, the front runner in a fight and he's getting off with of his wrestling, okay, you can't beat him. But what if he gets in a war? You know, I mean, it, you can discount the win over Colby by just saying, look, Colby's not, you know, the same striker that he is a wrestler. There's ways you can discount anything. That was a great win, and tonight was another great win. And he's packing great wins together. And I think tonight was more about the intangibles and his potential growth. He's already in his early 30s, but he's still learning and still growing. I mean, there was a calm in that corner with Coach uh, Whitman that I just didn't see that with kamaro before. And, you know, we get kamaro confident on the mic sometimes. Sometimes we get emotional Kamaru, and that's where Masvidal's coming up with that personality thing, where sometimes he acts a little bit too hard on the mic, but I think he's just figuring out now. Like, I don't have to yell and bark anymore that you guys don't respect me. I'm showing you in the cage, so now I can act like that cool guy because I am that guy. He's one of the best fighters in the world. Deal with it. You know, like, I'm not going to say anything negative about it. He fought his ass off tonight, and uh do I believe Masvidal could do better with a full camp? Of course. I don't know, you know, how and when Masvidal gets there. Money-wise tells you he will get there again because it just makes sense and sense. But, I mean, at 35, how much more? How, you know, Moswell figured out a lot in that year away, and he executed it in such a spectacular way last year. But a little bit of that magic's gone, and he does need to come back and get a big win and look great doing it. So it's going to be interesting where he goes from here. But, uh, you know, the want womp, womp was that we put a lot on Maz Vidal to do something that was was asking a lot of him. And I'm I'm one of those people. I predicted him to win even given the circumstances. I bought into the magic of it. And he just didn't have next level stuff tonight. And that's what it is. And he had a guy who drained him. Uh congratulations to to Kamaru Usman and, and that was that. Uh, but yeah, to drag on at the end. It's what happens when you fight a wrestler. But that's the game right here. Oh my God. Uh, in your cold main event, though, I really enjoyed this fight. The first fight was a chess match, high level, uh, technique, fat, uh, adjustments, all that. And Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway did us the justice a second time here. Only it was Volkanovsky with a, a, you know, somewhat disputed split decision win. Now, look, there were people, uh, a good amount on Twitter that had him three to two, that thought he had adjusted enough in round three and won three close rounds in a row. I, I'm not saying that there's a robbery. I'm not saying it's whatever. You know, it's a close fight. Neither guy uh, had done enough to, to leave no doubt. And time that happens, whether it's your fault or whether it's just the fact that it's a close fight, it's up to the judges. You left the fight open. This is a hard pill to swallow, though, to see Max lose this for a few reasons. I had him winning three rounds to two. He won the first two rounds dominantly. I thought he edged out the third in what felt like the swing round in a lot of ways, although in the end... The one judge that had it for Max 3-2, to two, the swing round was the fifth round on that judge's scorecard. He gave that to Max, which was a round I thought uh Volkanovski had really of the three that he won. I thought that was the one where it was like, okay, yeah, he won that. He was aggressive. He scored takedowns. He did things. But it comes down like this. The reason why it's heartbreaking is because Max, I thought he was playing us with the whole zoom thing and the haircut and all that. And to some degree, I think he, he actually was. He he won the story of this fight. That's an old Max Kellerman phrase that I hate because, uh, you know, what does the story get you if you don't win the fight, right? Who cares you won the moral victory? But he won the moral victory. He made the adjustments from that first fight against a clinical technician, IQ thinker, and Alexander Volkanovsky. And the manner in which Holloway came out and won the first two rounds by owning the distance, getting off first, push kicks, hard leg kicks to get Volkanovski back for what happened in the first three rounds of their first meeting. And just controlling that distance and, you know, making Alex pay a toll for trying to get inside. Max scores late knockdowns in both the first and second round. And he clearly wins those. I mean, they're 10 nines, but he clearly wins those. So to see that and see that he was the guy who came out and made the adjustments and then see back's, I'm sorry, then see Alex, yes, make an adjustment that ended up winning the fight. I mean, you got to give anybody credit. You go in there as a champ, and you're down 2 nothing like that, and you adjust, and you win, you get the credit. But he won in such closer rounds, in my opinion. I thought Alexander was able to get inside for the first time in the third and fourth round, landing that left hook, using stiff jabs, mixing in some leg kicks, but it wasn't his main focus. And then it was the timely takedowns that I really believe is what won in the last round, and I really believe may have edged him in some of these close rounds. But as I always say in boxing and MMA, when we argue the scorecards, it's like, it's, you don't score with your heart. You don't score with, you score the rounds by damage, but you don't score the whole fight by damage. You don't say, Oh, Max scored two knockdowns. That's the damage I need to see. He won. You score it round by round at the end of the day. And it doesn't matter if the rounds you won were wide unless why they're wide enough for a 10-8 but if they're not wide enough for a 10-8 it doesn't matter that you won those convincingly whereas you lost closer rounds right At the end of the day you lost because you you didn't make sure there wasn't any doubt so i scored it for max i thought he deserved to to have won a close fight where the story would have been hey this 28 year old this legend Look at the odds against him, and look at what he did against a great fighter in Volkanovski. Instead, the stories, hey, Volkanovski's won, like, 19 in a freaking row, and he's unbeaten in the UFC. And he knocked out and retired Chad Mendes, and he blanked Jose Aldo, and now he's got two victories over Max Holloway. So, uh, A, City Kickboxing shout-out, B, uh, Alexander the Great is just that. But, uh, you know, I love me some Max Holloway. I don't really know where he goes next. Um, being only 28, it's not that he's out of options. It's just that when you've lost twice to the champ at the moment and you're in a deep division and this n- division's got freaking names, Ige, Cater, uh, Korean, Korean bash brother. Uh, you know who I'm talking about? And, I mean, you got Brian Ortega, you got Yair, you got, you got names. It's going to take a while for Max to come back around where UFC would Want to go out of their way to make a trilogy fight when a guy who lost two fights. It just doesn't make a lot of sense unless there's like heavy, heavy controversy in one of the two fights. So does Max go to lightweight, where I think you can argue from the Poirier fight, even though he fought tremendously to make that such a great five-round fight, but didn't have the power, I thought, to have a legitimate impact. If he committed wholeheartedly to 155 and changed his body, could that change things? Yeah. But I don't think he's going to have that same those same levels of advantages with his length and the speed and the combinations that he that he could. I mean, you know, the speed. Yes. But in terms of having an impact with the punches, I don't think he has that at 155. And that's a deep historic pool of killers at the moment. So what do you do if you're Max? I don't know. I mean, you probably go back to the drawing board because Max doesn't dwell on losses. He doesn't get down on himself. You probably just go, I'm going to face the next best guy. You know, let me go rematch Ortega. Let me, let me fight who, you know, I mean, Zabit's in that mix as well. How could I forget Zabit? He may be the best of that group for all we know. Um, It's wild. It's crazy. It's a hard pill to swallow for Max. And nobody outside of Conor McGregor takes losses better than Max Holloway and learns from them and adapts and grows as he did tonight. But. I don't know exactly where he goes from here. And there's got to be that extra level heartbreak of knowing I figured the guy out, you know, I won the bullshit story of the fight. You know, it doesn't it doesn't win me the fight, but uh, I in some ways was the better man tonight, you know, some ways. But, you know, you also got your nose bloodied late and Volkanovski effing got inside on you, Joe Goosen. So at the end of the day, you lost the fight. This is a tough game. But shout-out to Max Holloway and a great performance. Shout-out to Alexander Volkanovsky. And the third of your title bouts, oh, boy. Peotre Jan, Piotr Jan, Piotr, Pete, Big Pete. He's the real deal, folks, as advertised. He sent uh, uh, Josie Aldo ultimately to hell, but he had to walk through the fire to get there. Uh, This is a grown-man performance. I loved it. I love that Jose Aldo looked like the Jose of old early with the leg kicks. He wasn't just being the old headhunter. He was trying to work a game plan. And there were moments in rounds one and threes particularly where, you know, he turned it at times into a chess match. There were other times he just took the lead with the harder strikes. And you're like, okay, Peter Jan. And then Peter Jan gets hurt late in round three, backed up against the fence. And you're like, okay, now we're going to really see. And we saw everything Peotre Jan had, Piotr. And you know what he had? He he had it all. He's your bantamweight champion in a loaded division. And I know Henry Cejudo, the messenger, delivered that corny message on Twitter afterwards. And it's not that I don't want to see Jan Cejudo. And by the way, Dana afterwards did not, did not commit to Aljamain Sterling getting the next title fight. But in my opinion, even though Jan Cejudo, I mean, you can sell it tomorrow. It's a hellacious potential. I need to see that fight. I want to take that fight away from Aljo. For having to wait through his injury, come back around, fight Corey Sandhagen of all people, not even for a vacant belt, and submit him savagely in the first round. Give me the Yan fight now. Give me the Yan fight now to find out who the, who the, you're going to build this division around for the future. Because we all know Sudo's coming back in some form. But we don't know how long forever, but obviously if this division goes, this decision goes to Dana, he's going to look at business. He's going to look at trying to get Cejudo back in line. You know, here you can win the, your title against a rising star. Uh, you know, let's keep you around here more. You know, let's put something in the deal that says you can't give up the belt next. It's going to be interesting where this goes, how the, uh, how the negotiations do that. But let's not forget one thing. When Henry Cejudo walked away, he walked away from an empty arena fight in the U.S., right? Where there were no live gates, where he probably wasn't going to make any big time money for a while. Now we have Fight Island. Now we have, which really means you can call Fight Island. What it really means is now we have an arena in Abu Dhabi, and we have large site fee, and we have, uh, you know, somebody who's paying for everything. So maybe that is what ultimately brings back Cejudo. But how great is this division right now? with the young rising names we're talking about, with the established guys like Cejudo. Then you got TJ Dillashaw eventually coming back. You got Garbrandt coming off a big win. You got some old names that we love, Frankie Edgar, uh, Mr. Faberlinger, and Dominic Cruz. I mean, I could not be more excited to see where this plays out. Uh Jan is all killer <laughs> and no filler. There ain't no holes in that game. So it's going to be great to see where we go from here. Um Maybe the best fight on the card that excited my fandom. I love me some Rose not me Eunice, And she had crazy questions coming in. This rematch. Uh, I got to admit something. Sometimes we just miss things as people. This is a, a rematch of a title fight. Both were former champions. For some reason, I just has, had this weird assumption that it was five rounds, even though that makes no sense. So when I was picking things on CBS Sports HQ this week of, you know, what's your lock? What's your best bet of the week? I'm like... Rose Eunice to knock her out plus 400. Give me that bet every day of the week. But I'm thinking of that bet in a five-round sense. Now, to Rose's credit, there were moments in round one and two where you were looking like, "Wow, she may end up getting this within the three rounds." But I screwed up a bit there, even though I backed Rose, and even though I backed Rose as did Vegas. Knowing there were legit questions, right, from the drop down her head last time against Andrade to the I'm almost going to retire. And by the way, thank you, Rose, for an incredible interview on, on the pod this week. Hopefully you all check that out. Um, you know, she rediscovered her faith and that helped her rediscover the passion for the game. And I respected all that coming in. But you're still facing a tough SOB in Jessica Andrade, who, um, you know, I didn't give her the respect and credit she deserved. You know, I talked a lot about the one-dimensional aspect of her. I thought she could get cut over rounds and eventually stopped. And and again, credit to Rose. There were times she lit her up, but that third round, Jessica Andrade put out. Holy crap! That made that fight. That fight was your fight of the night. It won the bonus, rightfully so. A great fight, but Andrade poured it on in round three, and we had to find out if Rose still has it, and she does. And it was great to see. It was inspiring to see. But Rose's left eye got hamburgered. And she had the cut on the nose. And her face was full of blood. And Andraja's landed bombs. And they went back and forth. And a couple points here. One, when when has women's strawweight ever, ever, ever set you down the wrong path? Right? They deliver every single time on the highest level. Thank you. Uh, Number two, Rose's smash silenced her demons slayed her demons and she had to walk through hell to do that and I think that was really important to her future that she got hurt a bit that she got uh uh you know that that she had to really face it hang straight on do you want this she wanted it she was a warrior and it's funny I talked to her you know about that Joanna Weley Zhang match and she said you know I don't think it's the best fight of all time there wasn't enough defense and all that. And then, you know, Pat Berry posted a video of Rose in the hospital afterward and saying, this was your fight of the year. You know, this is it. It was it was Jessica against Rose. And you had Weili Zhang commenting on there saying congratulations on Instagram. Let's go. And I'm saying, let's go. Uh, after Rose heals, her and Weili Zhang is is among young Weili. It's among the best fights you can make in the whole sport. I don't care what you say. It's a badass fight. And maybe you can watch. Rose's vulnerability in round three, and say, okay, if we go five against Wei Li, who has you know power, has toughness, has skills, you know, uh, she's going down. But I don't, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know. Rose is so technically brilliant, and I know we can, I can play MMA math and go, look, Rose beat Joanna twice, you know, once on a on a demolition, once on a technical five round fast paced fight, and then. Whaley's going life or death against JJ, right? Boogie woman, you know, you were coming. Boogie woman is coming tomorrow and she doesn't know what's coming. By the way, Boogie woman on Instagram today posting another kind of thirsty pic, but saying in the hashtag, you know, retired at 33. Hmm. Interesting. I don't believe it, but hmm. Um, uh, This is, you know, styles make fights and, and Rose Whaley is going to be tremendous. I do want to shout out Jessica Andrade on her head movement. There were times it looked like wasted movement, but that head movement is what stopped her from getting lit up. She didn't have the head movement in round one of their first fight, and that's why she got beat up and bloodied straight up about it. all right. Uh, Rose with the big win, and then you had your other women's fight to kick off the pay-per-view portion of the card. Amanda Hebus, as the betting line indicated, as a monster favorite, cashed out Paige Van Sant and destroyed her. Submission win, less than three minutes. Dana White ripped PVZ afterwards saying, you know, uh, talked about her sinking brand, said she should look elsewhere for work, basically. Uh, She should, by the way. This is a bad performance. You know, Amanda Hebis was tough as heck, and she's a now potential title contender in two divisions. But she was moving up in weight here. And, you know, I like that. PVZ came to the cage in tears and was kind of, you know, felt the moment. But I thought she was going to come out and just bring it. Not win, but I thought she was going to show a certain side of herself that we hadn't seen in a while out of pride. And I thought she was going to lose, but I thought she was going to leave some of herself in there in a good way. But, uh, you know. That was a tough loss, man. I mean, that was a, uh, was a bad loss in a lot of ways against a great fighter. So you don't damn that part. You just damn where we're at in the PVZ experiment. It's over. You know, she never became the Ronda Rousey, and that's a high bar. I mean, that's a high level of expectations. And she did cross over to Dancing with the Stars, and she was a thing for a while, And I just she wasn't she didn't make that growth as a fighter, unfortunately, for her and the organization, really. And it was, you know, injuries. Yes. And it was certainly maybe a lack of commitment at times or a lack of evolution, maybe a little bit too much focus on the other side. You can argue a lot of different things. Maybe she was never that great to begin with. You know, there's a little, you know, maybe her husband's got the worst neck tat ever. And he does. So there's that, too. But for her brand, this is a bad way to exit. And yes, they set her up. Yes, they cashed her out against somebody who was now ten and one, won five in a row, four and in the UFC. And by the way, Amanda Hebis, like, shout out for that post fight interview. <laughs> You're the happiest person in the world. I mean, there were some like Johnny Walker vibes there. I mean, you were just you were awesome. And I know I ripped Johnny Walker for some of the antics, but he does bring just un you know, unbridled joy, and she had it, and she was crying and she was happy and it was great. Um, Hebus, though, in the cage is a killer. And uh while it was expected to see PVZ lose that badly, it's just sort of like, I don't want to say damaged goods, but I mean, what she lost? Like four out of her last six to finish in the octagon. I mean, it's tough, you know? I mean, yeah, she showed hard against Rose, but she got lit up anytime she stepped up in class and, and, you know, there would be no switch kick knockout here. And, uh, you know, she could still make money wherever she goes, obviously, because could, she, she can go places that don't have deep divisions and, And hopefully for her part, you know, get some wins out of Pride and make money and and all that and maybe try pro wrestling or whatever. But, you know, this is like cementing it. The experiment failed. The experiment of her being the next big thing failed. And it doesn't always work. And I'm not saying, you know, because they tried it, it has to work or we laugh at it. But she she didn't have it. And it was interesting to see. Once UFC and Dana realize that and then they start arguing over pay and then, you know, it, then it was like, let's pull the plug. And she, you know, they, it was clear by Dana's words that he's sort of sick of dealing with her. But tough loss. But we got to put the rocket strap on he who says she wants to go back down to 115 and wants a big name. Now, Strawweight's a deep pool. She can compete in, in Strawweight. No doubt. She looks legit. I'm just interested uh, in the idea of her at Flyweight where it's a much quicker path to the title. Yeah, I'm excited right now that we've got some, some okay, interesting names to finally talk about for potential Shevchenko opponents. Um, not names we think could beat Shevchenko, but names, right? Kelvio. I mean, we got, we, there's, there's a couple of people, but he is somebody you're like, okay, uh, you know, that could be a competitive fight against Valentina for all we know. We don't know he ceiling. It's one thing to see her, you know, Expose a Mackenzie Dern coming off of pregnancy, or, or expose a, a page in this situation. We're gonna have to see more. But if she feels her weight is is uh or she's a better fighter at 115, then uh, throw her in that pool because that pool is gonna be fun. Uh, I think she mentioned Marina Rodriguez is someone she wanted to fight. That's another sort of you know on that bubble to break out fighter at 115. That would be a hellacious fight. Bring it, bring it. Thank you. Um, I didn't love this undercard on paper. And it really didn't deliver To let's be honest, okay? It was bad. It was it was there were just too many fights that didn't feel like UFC level. Maybe I'm overdoing it, but you know, I watched Carol Rosa and Vanessa Mello and their catchweight bout, and I watched, you know, there's just a couple others who were just like, eh. I mean Davy Grant in the leadoff bout as a monster underdog getting that knockout of Martin Day and doing so two rounds after he broke his jaw. Good story there. That's how you, you make your name known. I mean this quarantine does offer you opportunity and the, and shout out to Davy Davy Grant for taking it and certainly shout out for what happened in the preliminary main bout. Jerry Prochatsk Pro, I'm going to I'm going to butcher this as I always do. Prochatska? prochotska Pro Jerry. 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 The Czech guy, Jerry, you know the guy. You know the guy I'm talking about, Jerry. What a victory. Um He had knocked out King Mo in the past. He was a risen champion. He had beaten some faded names outside the UFC that we kind of knew. But it's one thing to make your debut in a card this big in a somewhat featured spot. And to walk in there against a guy who's never been stopped in former title challenger, Volkan Ozdemir, and have no time for him and knock him out cold in round two. Uh, Wow. I mean, Jiri had been doing, you know, the... uh, The weird kung fu stuff early in this fight, doing doing the weird, doing doing the he was weird, and he bounced back. And after this fight got a little heated in round two, and this is a statement. You know, this is the only name you need. You you send Volcanosemir to hell. I mean, you're you, you going to take notice of you. So that's a big win right there. And that was a uh, know-me-now situation right there for a guy with power, who guy who's aggressive, a guy who's a little wacky in there. Fun fight to watch, absolutely. Uh, the rest of the card, I don't really think it offered me much. Sorry. It was was fairly subpar, so uh, it is what it is right there, but UFC coming back strong, of course, is the first of four fights cards on Fight Island over the next 14 days, and look, Wednesday night's one with that featherweight main event, Calvin Cater and Dan Gay are going to have a chat with Dan Egey on this Tuesday's State of Combat MMA pod you're not going to want to miss great guy by the way good story there uh and then of course you know we get some we get Robert Whitaker and Darren Till eventually uh we the goods are still coming there so thank you UFC for a loaded card i i actually i don't feel weird saying that um look around right now you know i know sports are starting to come back but they're they're having trouble coming back and this is a badass card it was and even if it didn't hit all the high notes that it had the potential to this felt like a super bowl card this week. So shout out to UFC pulling this off. And at the end of the day, you know, I don't care where the money comes from or how they're paying for it. And if this makes uh you know, if this bumps up Abu Dhabi's tourist potential for the rest of the world, great. I, you know how many, I don't think there's as many human rights violations there as there is in Saudi. When we get all over WWE or Eddie Hearn and company for going there and taking that money. Um, it seemed like everything worked out great and they, they got the COVID thing, you know, maintained or not. You can't control it, but uh, we're doing well. We're doing well right now. So shout out to everybody involved. Again, please check out the work Rashad Evans and I did on CBS Sports HQ earlier tonight. We'll be rerunning on Sunday with the great Hakeem Dermish. Shout out to all of you on the SOC. The IA is wrapped up your MVP of the night. Of course, Kamaro Usman, the big story. Uh, know his name. Love him. Respect him. Give him the respect he deserves. He's the real. It's a big win. It's a big win. I know there's caveats, but it's a big win. So shout out. Thank you for listening. Deep in your eye, it's your boy, BC. All that and then some tall, pale, and exhausted. Okay? And I got two words for you. I'm out.